Hi again, guys. This is Phil from Pico. Today, we're in for a treat. I'm speaking to one of my friends, Alfred, who lived through the Northern Soul era in Wigan, Wigan Pier. There's a lot of revival interest in Northern Soul, but it's nice to actually hear back what it was actually live. Hi, Alf. How are you, mate? I'm fine, thank you, Phil. Awesome. So, what I'd like to do, if possible, let's do a little bit of time travel, go back. When was all that Northern Soul business going on? Well, it was slightly before my time. Um, in the late 60s, it started to have a massive movement, did Northern Soul, in the north of England. Uh, especially uh, places like Wigan, Talk of the North, Stoke, The Torch. All these places, what we called all-nighters, were all-night events. And they'd start roughly around about 10, 11 o'clock at night. Well, perhaps 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. There were never no alcohol at these events. No alcohol? No. There were no alcohol. People had misconception about Northern Soul dancers. There was no drinking. Obviously, the licensing laws at the time anyway were, unless you were a nightclub... And even that, you couldn't sell drink all night till the early hours. So there was no, never no alcohol involved. It was all about the dancing. It was all about the people and the clothes. You know, and meeting people of the same ilk that love to dance, Northern Soul dancing. So it was a love of dancing then? It was a love of dancing. It was a love of Northern Soul music. You know, Northern Soul mu music or Detroit music were extremely big through the 60s and did carry on through into the 70s where you got your mods or area they were called the mods and, and it, it was a sort of pick up from the old Detroit sound uh, and that's why a lot of American bands from Detroit made it big in England you know people like the Platters and, and so many many more of them that you would never have heard of without Northern Soul made it actually onto mainstream and commercial music. To me, it seems like a little bit of a culture at the time. I, I remember watching Quadrophenia, you know, with the scooters, the targets. Yeah. Is that all part of the same era? Uh, well, actually, that's a, that, that's a sort of even a later era than right. from when I was first involved. Uh, but it was very much that culture, you know, the Lambretta Vespa culture of the time. And it was very much about being cool and being mod, mm. you know. Um, and the clothes, the clothes were fantastic. Oh, what, what was the, unique about the clothes? Well, fed, it, it were your shirts mostly, but people, uh, Fred Perry's were always big Levi's. Oh, uh, Fred Perry's had a T-shirt? Fred Perry's, oh, uh, Ben Sherman's. Bowl, uh, we had things called bowling shirts, which were like an American bowling shirt, which had pleats down the sides. And we used to get these bowling shirts with his name stitched on. And then we sew all the badges on them from events like Wigan and the Torch and Twisted Wheel and the Northern Soul and Soul Power. And the more badges you had on your, oh, yeah. on your bowling shirt, the more you were... Status are, you had, yes, better status. Yeah, you had much better status if you had a, a bowling shirt just covered in badges. At the time, I bet you looked so cool and trendy. We used to think so, definitely. <laughs> I'm not sure about the Oxford bags, you know. Oh, the trousers? Yeah, and they got a bit ridiculous when they started to get 30-inch bottoms and things 30 like that. 30-inch bottoms? Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that's quite, like, quite a... A good breeze and you can be carried away, you know. <laughs> 
Well, yeah. it'll, keep, it'll keep your body fairly yeah. cool, though, when and you're dancing, I bet. The high waist, the high waist pants with five buttons. That, you know, in the waistband, you'd have five buttons. And the more buttons you've got in your waistband, <laughs> once again, the more prestige you So you went from being a sergeant to a general within a couple of buttons? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But all about what you wore uh, and how you danced. Obviously. What about the shoes? Platform shoes, mostly. Platform shoes? Big platform shoes. But I used to get my shoes from a place in Leeds called Sasha's, which was mostly a woman's shoe shop, although they did for men as well. They were extremely expensive at style, and the platforms probably were about four inch thick. You know, they were big. Four inch thick. Big. How could you? Four. How could you dance in that? You could. You could dance. You know, once you learned to walk in them, then you could learn to <laughs> dance in them. Uh, but it, and it also made me being only five foot four. It gave me some height. You know, hey. I used to love them. But yeah, the clothes, the shoes were all about it. It was all about it, and it was where you put all your money. Because nothing were cheap, you know, the clothes weren't cheap at the time, the shoes weren't cheap. Um, and going to the all-nighters, you know, that wasn't cheap neither. I think there was also probably an element of drugs, if there wasn't alcohol. It wasn't as prevalent as people think. You went in them days, it's different today. But you had a lot of what they call speed. Right. You had speed and amphetamines. You never really saw things like uh, marijuana because marijuana's a downer. You don't want to be down when you're up bouncing about on the dance floor. So if, if anybody took anything, it would most certainly speed. It went amphetamines. Popping pills. Popping pills. But it wasn't a thing that... I can honestly say after the group I went with, I never knew anybody to take them. Oh, right. You know, so it wasn't that... Uh, it wasn't any of my business and it wasn't that I either thought yes or no about it. It was just that... We didn't get into that, you know. It was about the music. It was about getting older, the 45s. This is what I was wanting to speak to you about. Well, there used to be a magazine, and it's very difficult for me to remember its name. There used to be a little record shop in Pontefract, uh, round the corner from the kiosk. And you could go in there, and you could import records from America. And it used to cost £10, which was a considerable amount of money then. Considering my wage at the time was £2.50. Wow. But me and my sister used to put together and we used to import all the major sounds. So, you know, you get a record called, you know, I'm on my way by Dean Parish. I think we were the first people to get a Zanzoni, other than the people who were dance floors and DJs. Deep Parish, I'm on my way. My favourite was Out on the Floor. You can make Out on the Floor, which was one of my favourite of all Northern Soul records to dance But it's there. Uh, there, were, there were so many. And what people don't realise is that singers, great soul singers that we had in this country, like Dusty Springfield, Dusty Springfield were an icon amongst Northern Soul fans. And that she actually went to Detroit in the 1960s, and that's where she got her, her sound from. And 
I, I always believe Dusty Springfield were probably the best soul singer this country's ever produced. Oh. That's my own personal feeling, you know. Uh, but I loved Dusty Springfield, all of the music at the time. And there were so, so many good songs. But it was a very expensive thing to do, as I said, to get hold of these records. And uh, me and my sister amassed a considerable collection of these records, of which I'm nearly certain my sister still has them all, but denies it. <laughs> she never chucks anything away. She's got them somewhere. Uh, so, but we, we had such a collection that DJs would come to our house and ask to borrow them so they could put Northern Soul shows on. They didn't have anywhere near the records that me and our Janet had, you know, so... And, yeah, it was a great time. Not just the music, but the scooters, the people. It was a, a very bouncy time, a very time full of fun. Every single weekend we'd do something. If they want an all-nighter that weekend, then off we'd go to Scarborough and meet up with all other mods. And we'd travel maybe 30, 40 strong to Scarborough. Ooh. And meet up with many, many other groups, 30, 40, 50 strong. So... Just about every weekend, you may possibly have a thousand, maybe two thousand scooters at Scarborough. Oh, every nice. weekend, you know. And there were a, a great competition amongst That was scooters. a culture all of its own, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And it's never died out, really. That's what people think. People think it's had resurgences, but it's never actually gone away. And it's not just in this country where it's really, really, you know, a thing that people like. It goes throughout Europe and in America. In America, there's a massive scooter culture, you know, where they absolutely love scooters. And they're just like we are. Although it's fair to say it was this country that started it all off. It was this country that resurged Vespa and Lambretta, you know, as they did well as cheap transport in the 50s and 60s. Then it became a culture, and that culture spread throughout. Well, can I say, Alf, this has been awesome. Our next conversation, we've got to have one, is we'll talk about the scooters, because I know other people have got questions about that. So, for now, Alf, thanks a lot. I'm now going to start looking back at uh, what I've got in my music collection with the Northern Soul Classics. Thanks for speaking to us, buddy. More than welcome, Phil. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please feel welcome to have a listen to the others. These are all very interesting people. Take care. Bye.